So if you would please join me in turning to 1 Peter, and we'll be reading from chapter 1, uh, the first 12 verses. So 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. All right, thanks, Brother Sean. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, CPE. And uh, in a moment, I'm just going to say a quick message on that passage that uh, Sean read out to us. Uh, you know, we love the Bible here uh, at CPE, and we also love our dads, don't we? Uh, so how good is it to be able to celebrate Father's Day here with you this morning? Uh, and especially welcome as well. If you're a dad, you've been invited along, or maybe you're a son or a daughter who's been invited along, um, a special warm welcome to you. Now, I did actually, you know, want to know a little bit about what you guys were talking about earlier in that little discussion, because, you know, I love a good testimonial. You know, I love just hearing about those things, those Halo products that are like, this thing's amazing and it has lasted me forever. Um, but did anyone else just find themselves using that little phrase, they don't make them how they used to? 
Yeah, did anyone kind of go, yeah, you know, that old car, that old uh, white good at home, whatever it was, things that used to be made to last. You know, for me, um, I remember growing up with uh, this microwave. Let me see if we can get our slides moving, guys, back there. There we go. This is an old microwave. It's called the National Microwave. Now, I used to think that we were this weird family that had this like 20, 30-year-old microwave at home. But actually, apparently, I looked this up on product review, people are still leaving testimonials for this product like 30 or 40 years on. People saying, hey, this thing just kept on going and going and going forever. This microwave from the 80s that just wouldn't die. Now, I grew up, uh, also, my first car was a hand-me-down. Uh, it was a big, boxy, white Volvo, okay? Like, it was built like a tank. It probably drove about as fast as a tank, and it felt like as heavy as a tank as well. Uh, and I remember in uni, I, I wanted this thing to die, right? I wanted something for, with a bit more street cred. Like, come on, the big, boxy, white Volvo, that's not going to do much for me. Could not make that thing die. Just kept on going. So you kind of do get attached to those things because, in truth, very few things in life last, don't they? In fact, there's very few, there's very few more frustrating things in life than the thing that dies, especially when they die like just after their warranty period. In fact, there's an actual term made for this. Uh, it's called planned obsolescence. Planned obsolescence. In fact, it's quite remarkable because actually... People have been talking about this really for about the last 60 or 70 years. Uh, and there's a quote from an industrial designer, a guy who used to work in this industry who made these things. This is what he said. He said, our whole economy is based on planned obsolescence. We make good products, we induce people to buy them, and then the next year we deliberately introduce something that will make these products feel old-fashioned, out-of-date, obsolete. Isn't that so true? That was... That quote's from the 50s, but you feel it today, don't you? You know, uh, I believe next week the new iPhone is coming out, and uh, uh, you know what they say, as soon as that new thing comes out, uh, it's going to be splashed all over the news, it's going to be flashy videos and presentations, and, and, and that old phone that's a whole two years old suddenly feels too old. Isn't that so true? In fact, I love this little cartoon. Uh, it says, how long before uh, this new product is obsolete? About five minutes after we announce the new next model. Ha, 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 ha. You can kind of imagine your phone saying that, don't you? You know, sometimes I even wonder, if it, is it intentional? That is a question. In fact, Apple themselves got in trouble for uh, slowing down your phone once it got to a certain age. Now, it's kind of like that, isn't it? that I feel like marketing departments, they just have a field day with us. They know that we just want the new flashiest thing with a few new extra features and they'll keep upselling us year by year so, and, and they'll make sure things do break and that they don't last forever so that we've got to keep buying them. And I feel like we've somewhat been conned by advertisers but maybe we've also conned ourselves, haven't we? that we feel like we must have the latest and greatest and that, uh, that this little cute cartoon, you know, our land full of, full of products, of things that we used to know. I think that's kind of a cute little thing of things that we no longer have. But hey, if you're just visiting today um, at this church, we believe that this old book, the Bible, actually has something to say to our world today, a message that we need to hear, a kind of timeless message. 
Uh, you know, in a way, I find that the Bible often nows us on all these things and the ways in which we just get life so wrong. The things that we want, the things that we set our hopes on, our desires on. And this part of the Bible is no different because actually in this little passage that uh, Sean read out for us earlier, there is a message there for us about why so many things in this life perish and spoil and fade and they fail us. In fact, it really challenges us that if we set our hopes on things that are here on earth, we are born to be disappointed. You see, we're reading from a Bible, uh, part of the Bible, it's from a letter called 1 Peter. Now, Peter was one of uh, Jesus' disciples, and uh, he's writing to a bunch of Christian refugees spread out um, really across modern-day Turkey, as we would call it today. Uh, People who are under pressure, persecuted, been booted from their homes, uh, facing enormous pressure that we can't even really quite imagine here today in Australia 2022. Yet, in the midst of that, Paul said, uh, Peter says that they can praise God because of their situation, because of what they're going through. He says that they can have a resilient hope that is not dependent on the circumstances in which they find themselves. So resilient hope, that's the, the, the name of our new series that we've got um, on 1 Peter. It's going to run over the next few weeks. But come and read with me. If you've got your Bibles, read along with me. But I'll throw it up there for those who don't. Here's what he says. Firstly, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is just one short little sentence, but there's a lot packed in there about, uh, about, about what Peter says about the ways in which God has poured mercy out into our world. And it gives us a new start, a new beginning, a new birth. See, I'll just highlight that little phrase there. Because, I mean, how many of us, like, if we just kind of stop and think about our lives, wish that we could make a new start in some way, that we could just turn a new leaf over, right? I mean, how many of us wouldn't maybe maybe start a fresh start in a new career, perhaps? Because the job that we were in just didn't turn out maybe as exciting or as, as fulfilling as we thought it would be. Maybe you could reset a relationship. Maybe you could just restart life as a whole, so that you could undo those mistakes and regrets that you have. God promises that he can give us a fresh start, a new birth. A new birth, it's like being reborn, reborn into this genuine new hope, a living hope, he says. A hope that will never perish or fail or spoil. See, a hope that will actually grow like a new shoot and just flourish into this new life in which we can live. He's, he's promising actually quite a lot here, Peter is. Now, that promise is based on the rebirth of Jesus from the dead, his resurrection. Now, you might be aware that actually Christians believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and then after three days he rose again, and that's the reason we have Easter over a long weekend. And that miracle is the basis upon which we Christians believe that you can have eternal life. But what you might not know is that that isn't just some sort of eternal sort of future insurance plan Actually, what it is, is about, the, is about the basis for a renewed life that we can live now. You see, notice that God actually says that in a past tense, he has given us a new birth. That by faith, you can actually access all the power of Jesus' death and resurrection for you now. You can't undo the past, 
But according to the Bible, you can be born again. Not to the same old life, into a new life. One connected with God, connected with eternity. And as he goes on, and into an inheritance that can never perish, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith is shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So what does Peter say? He says that actually you can have a hope in a heavenly inheritance, one that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now let me just talk about investments here for a second. Uh, many of us, and I think you know, maybe you're a dad here, and maybe that's one of your responsibilities is managing the household finances. And uh, you, you want to build wealth. You want to invest in such a way that you can leave something for your kids, that they might have some sort of inheritance, that they might have you know some way just get ahead a little bit in life, have something to to build on. Yeah, I mean, many of us had parents who worked hard invested in us. Their inheritance for us might have been a good education. Maybe it was moving country. Maybe it was doing something that would actually give you a basis in which you could build a a sustainable, stable uh, career on. And at my stage in life, I start thinking about that for my kids. So thinking about, well, what would it look like to invest? What would it look like to uh, ensure that they have a solid future ahead for them? And you start thinking about things. That, but as soon as you start thinking about investing, you know what the first rule of investing is? You always think about the risks involved as well, don't you? You think about the risks. There are high risks, high reward investments, and there are low risk and low reward investments. You know, you can invest your money into the stock market or into a startup company. High risk, high reward. Or you could park all your money in the bank and earn whatever paltry 1% interest is there at the moment and slowly accumulate that way. But there's a lesson in investment that there's no investment with no risk. There's a risk for everything. Stock markets can crash. Housing bubbles can pop. Even banks can go bust. Or interest rates, yes, interest rates can even go in reverse. That is, your savings can go into, can, can actually get smaller. You know, I think it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because we've all been through a pandemic, so we actually know that, you know, nothing in life is certain. Now, in some ways, I actually kind of think it's sort of done us a favour in a way. Sort of reminded us that actually, there is risks to everything that we do. I'm sure if you're a, a person living in Ukraine a few years ago, you weren't thinking that your country could get invaded and you could lose everything. But I think it really highlights the difference between hope in things that are perishable and hope in things that are not. See, the hope that Christianity offers is actually not something that is based in this decaying and broken world that we live in. I think that's why Peter says that we can have a resilient hope, a hope that won't perish, a hope that can outlast all the brokenness in our world, wars, stock market crashes and all the rest. And whether things are going well or things are going badly, he's saying there is a hope that isn't based on perishable things that can break, spoil or fade. I think that's true of whether things are going well for you or things are going poorly for you. Whether you've just lost a lot of money or made a lot of money. 
He says, don't put your hope in those things. I was uh, listening to a YouTuber. There was an interview with a YouTuber, a very famous one. Uh, he's got 10 million subscribers. Now, if you know what that means, that's like astronomical in, in YouTube uh, terms. Uh, he's talking about his life. You know, things have just gone so well for him. Uh, companies were throwing money at him because he had such a good following. But then he says that he actually experienced something that totally changed his life. Let me just actually play a little clip for you from that right now. All right, let's see. Are we gonna, is that going to work for us, uh, Chris? I'm going to say that's not going to work for us. Not going to work for us. Okay. All right. So what he says, what he says, uh, his name is Ryan Trahan, and he's, he's one of those YouTubers that you almost want to dislike uh, because he, you know, he gets to just go and travel around the country and do kind of crazy pranks and, and, and fun, interesting videos, and, and that's pretty much his life. Um, with 10 million subscribers, you know, he's, 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 he's making a fortune off it. And what he says is that actually there was a day, there was a moment. Life was just going so well on his YouTube channel. Uh, He was there with his girlfriend and watching some uh, New Year's Eve fireworks. And what he goes on to say is that uh, he has this moment, he just starts crying. He starts crying. Now he starts crying because he says, he just realized at that moment the beautiful fireworks are going off. He just went, I have everything that I could possibly want. And I feel so numb. I feel so numb. And he starts peppering his girlfriends with questions about life and turns out actually his girlfriend's a Christian. Now his girlfriend just answers all his questions real graciously and he starts going, oh man, maybe I was just doing this all wrong. And he said, he goes and he prays to God and then he goes, yeah. He said, he said actually, maybe I've just got to give this God thing a go. And he goes on fast-forwarding a little bit uh, t- time down the track, and he says, you know what? I can't possibly imagine doing life without God anymore. So he became a Christian. He said, I realise now all my hopes and all my joys are now all based not on my subscriber count, whether my videos are doing well or not, but on Jesus. And so he says from that basis, from that place of joy, he's able to now go and serve people. And he wants actually people to know Jesus. And he's, he's, he's open to even testify about that on his YouTube channel to his 10 million viewers. He had a rebirth. And by discovering Jesus, he found a hope that isn't dependent on the ups and downs of his popularity. You see, that's the kind of hope that Peter is talking about. All right, verse 6. He goes on. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you, may, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, with perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. All right, so Peter goes on to make a merely massive point here that you can have joy in every circumstance where things are going well or things are going poorly. See, this is not the sort of joy of the worldly pleasures that can come and go. Uh, the joy of, of having, this is the joy of having a worth that comes completely out of this world. 
See, it's the kind of joy that even suffering can't take away. Now, I don't think Peter's saying that you can never be sad, right? See, I think he's saying that in the, 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 that sadness will come, but it won't overwhelm you, it won't embitter you. You have a, a hope that you can rejoice in even in the midst of those hard times. You have a resilience that can withstand the hardships of life. See, there's a saying that suffering can either make you bitter or it can make you better. And Peter's saying, hey, if you have this hope, this resilient hope, then when that suffering comes, it's not going to crush you. In fact, you can continue to have joy even in the midst of that suffering. Now, I think it's so interesting because that, even that very word resilience, is, it's, it's actually quite a hot topic word at the moment, right? Uh, particularly as, uh, as a lot of uh, counsellors and a lot of uh, people uh, in schools are looking down at this next generation. And I don't know if you feel this as well, uh, but a lot of people are saying that actually our young generation these days, our kids, don't have any resilience. They're very fragile. They crumble at the first sign of being tested. And people are debating right now about what we should do about that. You know, I don't know, parents, if you've got a report card recently from, uh, about your kids, and the report card really says absolutely nothing. <laughs> they don't give you marks for anything. They don't actually grade you on anything anymore. You know why? Because they think our kids will be crushed if they find out that they might actually be struggling in a subject. And so they kind of give you these um, flowery descriptions about stuff and said, now, I think there's some good reasons for that as well. Absolutely, I'm not saying that at all. But there is a, a thing going around at them and to say, well, maybe, maybe one of the reasons we don't have much resilience is that we really uh, shelter and protect our kids. That in our paranoid parenting, we just want to wrap them up and shield them from any possible hardship or difficulty that they might face. Yeah, you, I've heard these days about all kinds of things. I heard about a school that wouldn't let their kids play on grass because there were too many hazards and risks with allergies and bull ants and, and a library that said that kids weren't allowed without supervision because, well, there's stairs and there's electronic equipment in the library. I mean, that's the sort of world that we live in, isn't it? Now, I don't think it means you've got to put your kids through intentional harm or suffering just to toughen them up a bit. But I think it says that, well, maybe there's times we've got to embrace the difficulty and help our kids through their difficulties, not to protect them or shield them from it. And in fact, God really is saying that he does that with us. He wants to test our faith and grow it through suffering. The suffering that will test our faith, it will refine it. You see, many of us here will profess Christ on Sunday, but Maybe from Monday to Friday, we're really just chasing after the same worldly goods that the rest of the world does. We have a foot in one world here, in, in, uh, one foot in earth and one foot in heaven. And sometimes we need the suffering to knock out the earthly hopes that we have. You know, if you were here through our series on Job, you might have worked that out, didn't you? See, Job was refined through the process of his intense suffering. Job was not the same person that he was in chapter 1 as he was in chapter 42. We saw Job that he needed to learn to trust God, that he needed to to repent from his own self-reliance. And he turned to God, not uh, not just because God gave him good things, but even in the bad things he learned to turn to God. See, that's why Peter talks about this process as being like a refiner's fire. Fire purifies things, right? 
If you want pure gold, you heat it up, you refine it, you can actually uh, uh, refine off all the impurities out of that gold. And when you turn to embrace suffering, when you embrace it with joy because of what Jesus has already done for you, then you will be refined. This last section here, let's read these last few. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, Peter actually finishes off by saying, hey, you guys, Christian refugees across Turkey, persecuted, under pressure, you have a hope and a joy, an inexpressible one, a glorious joy, one that is going to lead to your ultimate salvation, one in which you know you have an, a, a sure eternal future. And he says, Jesus has become the source of your joy. You know, church, as we do wrap up this morning, I want to ask you where your hope is. Where is your hope in the hard times when things aren't going well? Because church, if it's imperishable things, like our goods, our popularity, our career or something else, then you can lose that in an instant. It's a very fragile, it's an insecure hope. Church, if you have your hope in Jesus and his death and resurrection, if your hope is tied up in heaven with him, then you have a new birth into a living hope, one which will grow, one which can resist the pressures of this world, one which is resilient because it's not based in this world. But dads, you know, this is Father's Day today. Let me ask a different, slightly different question for you. What kind of inheritance do you want to leave for the next generation? If it's simply material possessions, a good education, the best earthly experiences and entertainment, I'll suggest to you that they're perishable things. That's a perishable inheritance. I think this little passage in the Bible here is challenging us to invest in that which would have eternal implications. See, maybe for you it's time to stop and think about what your life is built on or what you're shoring up for your kids. If it's something that could become crumbling down, well, it's nothing more than a house of cards. But God offers us an alternative. Build your life on Jesus' death and resurrection. When you build your life on that rock, when your life is invested there, not even death can shake that. And he invites others to join his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. You see, dads, your role is to invest in your children's spiritual development, most of all. The buck ultimately stops with you. Don't just leave it all to your spouse or expect that our awesome Sunday school team will do it all for you. No, 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 dads, build your family's life on a foundation that will never perish, fail or spoil. Something that has the resilience to withstand the trials and the troubles of life. Build it on Christ and Christ alone. 
I'm going to pray that we will do just that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know how tempting it is in our hearts to want to just go after the latest and greatest, to set our hopes on these perishable things, experiences, goods or gadgets. But Father, you remind us here and now that those things can perish in an instant, that can be taken away at any moment. But Father, you offer us a hope, a living hope, a resilient hope, one that isn't based on the brokenness of this world, but is based on Jesus' death and resurrection for us and the sure future you have because of what he's done for us. And Father, we pray for our dads, for our families, for our kids, that that will be the inheritance that we invest in. Father, we thank you for what Jesus has done for us and we pray that you will grow us all to know that living hope and build our life upon that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.